Hello and welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. So very pleased tonight to have Mr. John Wood, who's going to share his testimony with us. How are you doing, John? I'm doing all right, John. How have you coped during lockdown? Lockdown has been quite difficult. I fall at the bracket where I have to shield. Okay. I haven't got many choices, but I've managed to keep myself busy in the in the garden, and I have my music, which you know I play guitars, many of them. I've had all the help from my younger son. He's been doing shopping and helping in the house and generally helping us out. I've never felt alone. I've never felt nervous or stressed about anything. It hasn't been too bad for me. I, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. On top of all that, what we're going to talk about tonight is the faith. Yeah. The faith has played a major part in my life. Through natural choice, it just happened. Yeah. But I'll let you ask the questions. And also having your church services online, that must be a big help too. It's a great help, Don. It's something, initially at first, we didn't have that. You're separated from the, the fellowship. The fellowship is, you know yourself, it's, a, it's very, very important when you're a Christian. When we started doing the Zoom meetings, it was absolutely fabulous. Great. Yeah. Because now you can get back into it again. And we are meeting uh, three times a week. You're able to visit many churches all around the world from the comfort of your own home. Oh, yes. It's amazing what you can find out. John, tell me a little bit about your early years. Where were you born? What was your home life like? I was born near Bowness in West Lothian, Scotland, in between Bowness and Linlithgow. Mum and I, we lived, I was, I'm only child. Mum and I, we lived with an auntie for many years. My dad, he was in the Royal Navy. He was an officer in the Royal Navy and he joined the Navy in 1936. So really in my early years, I've never seen very much of him. My mother was a devout Christian. For want of a better word, I had to go with her regardless of whether I wanted to or not. It was part of village life. Everybody went around the church, what used to call it, the kirk. We used to go around the kirk three, four times a day when I got on a little bit. But initially, I went to morning service, I went to evening service. As I got to about four, I went to Sunday school, and that's the way it was. I went to Sunday school, so three times a day, when I was about four and a half, I started school up in Scotland. I was only there for a few months. Dad came home from the Navy. That was in 1952. He finished with the Navy then. We moved out to Berwick, which was his hometown in Berwick. Okay. In Berwick, my mother continued with a church, going to the church, the Church of Scotland in Tweedmouth, and I went with her. Mainly because when we went to church, I got a bag of sour sweets. So, <laughs> That was the temptation. Although we had the jest of Jesus and God, it was there in my head, but it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean any great thing at that age, at six-year-old. Yeah. My dad, he wasn't a believer at all. He professed to be an atheist. Okay. Why, I don't know. He professed to be an atheist. And I can remember before we come down to Berwick, the churches were packed, absolutely packed. And I think it was because... They had been praying for their loved ones who were away in the war and uh, praying for their safe, safe homecoming, you know. That's the way it was. It was, a, it was a great atmosphere at that time. A lot going on. 
But as I say, we were both at the barrack, I joined the choir, choir boys. Uh, I had a bit of a squeaky voice then. <laughs> so I joined the choir boys in Spittle, in St John's Church in Spittle. We used to get five shillings a quarter for practising two nights a week and singing on a Sunday. And we used to get a shilling if there was a wedding. <laughs> Nothing for funerals. That was the early life done. When we moved from Berwick down to Newcastle, that was because of my dad's job. Mother and I, we continued to go to church. I went to the Hitton Presbyterian Church along Hitton Road. And I was confirmed in there. And it was a great atmosphere there. There was the boys' brigade and the youth club. And we used to have theatre shows, put bits of shows on, you know, all the daft things. And uh, I really enjoyed it. When I became a teenager, I was already playing. I was playing a lot of jazz and stuff like that then. Okay. And uh, at 14, I was playing the clubs. Right. I was in, I was in club work in men's clubs and playing uh, nightclubs of in infancy then. I played nightclubs, played in the downbeat in Newcastle. When I left school, I was playing regular at a different place. I went into, into rock then, you know, modern music. So I drifted away from the church, sadly. And that's the way it was until I was going to college at the time, full-time college. Uh, studied for a higher national certificate in mechanical engineering, which I, I got when I was 20. And I finished, I met Val, I met me, my future wife, and she wasn't too happy about me dipping down to London or Manchester and that, playing all over the place. I finished playing guitars and uh, locked them away. I joined the police force. Right. City police for a bit of stability, and I was in there for about three years. And I passed my sergeant's exams. But I had a, had a bit of a riff with a couple of superintendents because they wasn't treating us like men. They treating us like boys. A couple of the facts that at that time. Why I really finished, I locked a young boy up. He was only 14. He was cheeky, but he wasn't stroppy. When I went to court the next morning, taken to the magistrate, this young boy had gotten a, a proper beating in the, in the police station. Wasn't happy about that. I stood up for that. I immediately uh, went and seen the superintendent and said, I'm finishing. I said, I want to put me notice in. I weren't very happy about that because I had a good police record with proper arrests, burglary and all sorts. So that was that, the police. And I, when I finished, I was at loose ends and at Dolby, uh, very high and national out, made a CV, sent it out to a lot of oil companies, and the rest was history. I started travelling, travelling all over the world, different places, in a working environment. I enjoyed it. It wasn't much good for Val. Val came with me a couple of times. Eventually we had we had Graham and she did decide to stop at home. The work that I was doing was very progressive. I was moving up the ladder in the engineering. So I maintained that I was very lucky that I had a very stable household, a good wife, a good family. Tell me some of the places that you got to around the world with work. Mexico, Brazil, America, Canada, Denmark, a lot, a lot of work in Germany, France, Belgium, Italy. These were big, big jobs and over there. I spent a bit of time over the Middle East as well, in yeah. the Emirates, Iraq and Saudi. Did you enjoy I, the mixture of cultures that you experienced? I enjoyed working well. Mainly there was a lot. When you, when you get in that kind of 
in that work, you find, especially when you're working abroad, you find people from all nationalities coming together. The nice thing about it is when you're contracting like that, you're all equal. Whether you're black, whether you're Chinese or you're Pakistani or Indian, they're all equal. And everybody is strapped the same. And I always maintained that it was a pleasure to work in them places. Never ever heard anybody say to me, Mr. John, I can't do that. I used to give them the, the work, take them out, show them what I wanted done. And my office used to always be open to them. They'd come in, I used to smoke then. I used to come in, pick me cigarettes, open smoke, and take a packet of cigarettes away with them. <laughs> but that was part of it. That was part of it. You were part of their life and they were part of yours. Yeah. I just want to go back and ask a question from, like, from earlier. You mentioned that your mum was a devout Christian and your dad was a self-confessed atheist. Did that make for much conflict within the house? Never. Okay. My dad never ever said you shouldn't do that because of his what? Well, he believed in something if he's an atheist. He believed it, that he was an atheist. To jump forward quite a bit, when my dad died, I wasn't there with him at that minute. But my mother said he was asking for a vicar. Right. I don't know what was going on in his mind. He had been ill for quite a long time and suffering a lot of pain with cancer. Okay. So maybe something was jogging his mind. I don't know. Yeah. But it was obviously too late for him. So tell me how you and Val met. Val met when I was playing in a band. Okay. We looked at each other. I didn't really approach her. Oh, a couple of months later, what was it? it was a Christmas time, I think. We had been uh, playing up in concert, I think, somewhere like that, somewhere out, out in the sticks. When we were driving back home from concert, one of the, one of the lads in the band's voice says, I'm going to a party down in Howden. So we went to this party and there was a far with this lad. Me being the kind of person I was, I went straight up to her, took her to one side and this lad looked at us. <laughs> I was a bit wilder than them days. And I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't the nice guy I am now. And that was it. When I took her home, when her mum must have seen the, the van's van pulling outside the door, I got out, went up the garden path, I got chased. <laughs> <laughs> First impressions and all that. Chased me down the garden path. You get away and don't come back. So I did the next night. <laughs> but really, that's basically, you know, from... A boy going through my life, working with only travels and, and stuff. I never really give religion much thought. I was working seven days a week. I was working long hours. I didn't have really much time. I made that excuse down. Yeah. I thought I didn't have enough time. What I've learned now is totally different. It'll change my whole aspect of everything. You have to make time. The Lord first and then everything else after that. But at the time, I was flying all over the place. Even when I was working in this country, we were working with an American company. It was nothing for us to have to get told to get a plane down at Heathrow, fly over to New York for a meeting. And when the meeting's finished, you jump back back over to Heathrow and back to work that following morning. Right. That's the way life was for me. It was like working at a mile a minute, you know. It was terrible. But I loved it. I loved the commitment I had. And I loved the buzz that I got from it. I didn't have the Lord in my life then. The early years of having a kind of Christian influence from your mum and going to church and doing church activities, did you have 
a belief in God? Did you have an acceptance that the Bible was, was important in those things, but no personal relationship? I knew God existed. I never ever questioned that. I never ever questioned that Jesus died at Calvary and rose again. I knew all that, even from a young child. I knew that. The word being saved never ever came in any sermons that I can honestly sit here in front of you and say that I never ever heard that expression used in a church of Scotland or a church of England. It may have done, maybe I missed it, Yeah. but never ever heard that of being saved. Did you have any thought about what it meant to be a Christian in those days? What was Christianity to you? I mean, from a very young age, we were taught if you're bad, you go to hell. If you're a good lad, you go to heaven. And that was basically it. You go to Sunday school and pay attention because you have, book, you have little things to write and, and things like that. We had to do Bible readings and, you know, I don't think I have been reading very long. But you used to have big words, you know, and you, you would read the little group, you know. We got a good grounding of everything in those days. Yeah. When I used to come home, my mum had a little Bible. I think I, I might have it here, though, no. That was my mother's Bible when she got married. And in there was Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp. And that was my mother's thing. But what I was going to show you is... Lots of coloured pictures. Okay. And I used to come home from Sunday school. And I almost, the picture that stuck in my head was Paul when he got lowered down. Out of the window, down, down, the, bottom, down to the ground in the basket. And that picture's in there. And uh, I used to be amazed by that. And that's been, that's been with me ever since. It's a New Testament, the day she got married. I would say, the Lord has always been with us. But sitting dormant, watching. Watching for the right time. Because I, I, I don't believe there's ever a right time to come to the Lord. The Lord will bring you when he thinks you're ready to do that. And that's what, that's what I think it happened to us. Up to the time I retired... I never thought about going to church down, I'm sorry to say. Never ever thought about it. Within months of being in the retirement, I was getting bored with television and bored with sitting in the couch holding hands with Val and not saying nothing, you know. <laughs> Val says, there's got to be something more than this. And we decided then we would have a look at churches. But we haven't made our mind up. And I'll let, I'll let, you, say, I'll let you speak now. So, completely out of the blue, seemingly, you just had a notion that you were going to try church? We wanted to try something. I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. When we first heard about uh, the Gospel Hall, yeah. I thought it would be one of these, one of these places where all oh, this is going to be good, this. Because we're down at Graham's one Christmas. I think it was about the first or second Christmas I had been uh, retired. And when we went in, Norman was sitting there in the house. I mean, Norman's a dear old man, he's a smashing man. And anyway, we, our Graham introduced me to, to Norman. He says, Daddy says, this is Norman from the church. I said, what, what church is that? He says, oh, he says, I've been going to church for about nine months. Him and Jackie. 
So anyway, I got talking to Norman, and Norman just comes straight over it. He says, do you go to church, John? I says, no. I says, no. I says, well, I've thought about it. I says, but nothing, nothing definite, you know. He says, well, Ebenezer Gospel Hall on Wall's End, he says, where Graham goes, he says, it's a lovely church. He says, you might like it. And I'm still thinking this shaky hands and the music going, you know. Yeah. So that following Sunday, Val and I went in. Because we could, we could only go in the afternoon, you know, the, the half past four. So we went in. I looked at up, well, this isn't one of these uh, places where everybody's up on the stage singing and standing up and all that. You went dancing in the aisles? We sat, we sat down and... Uh, there was a few more people in there then, you know, the older people. I've got to say that from that very first time, Martin Bowling was the speaker that day. Well, you know what it's like when people, when there's a stranger comes into the church, you're not sure whether they're saved or not. You know what comes next. Martin started hammering home about being saved, and I'm listening. And I'm saying, what does a saved mean? His explanation for it was a guy's in... He's a capsize and a dinghy or something. He's out in the middle of the sea and somebody sets the flares off and the lifeboat is coming. As it's getting near, he's shouting, save me, save me. Hold his hand. The guy pulls him in. And Martin says, the Lord's like that. He says, you put your hand up. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. And he says, and you'll be saved. And it stuck in my mind that when I was going on, driving home, my sister fell, I said, I don't get this, this saved bit. So anyway, I asked the one Graham, and he gave me, uh, he gave me a booklet. It was about being saved. It was about being baptised and about being saved. I'm sure it was, oh, yeah, Nick Gumbel. Nicky Gumbel? Yes. Okay. So we had, it was a, like a blue booklet, I, remember, I always remember it. And we took that and we, we read it. I let Val Harry read it. I said, what do you think of that? She said, well, it all makes sense now what Martin Bowen was. Well, I mean, we didn't say Martin Bowen, we called him the speaker. Yeah. But it, it all makes sense what the speaker was talking about. I said, uh, I think we should do this, Val. And I don't know why, I don't know why I said, but I was getting drawn towards that book. And uh, I think if I had to shut that book and put it away, I would have felt really, I would have felt, I felt a lot of guilt by doing that. So Val and I, that night, we got down one knees, inside the bed, and we got saved. Amen. Asked the Lord to forgive all our sins and trust him as my Lord and Saviour. And uh, that was it. We never missed Park Val from being ill. Yeah, that was it. That was the start of our journey, in the Christian, proper journey of the Christian faith. And as I said before, Dan, it wasn't my choice. I felt as if I was led by the hand and taken into there. I can't explain it. That's only way I can explain it. So somebody, I would never have went there on my own choice. But I felt I was being taken there. So C.S. Lewis had a famous quote where he calls himself the most reluctant Christian, where it was almost as though he was um, 
constrained to be saved. It almost seems like that, you know, almost like a battle of wills. Is that how you think it would be described? Yes, I like it. Well, the Lord was calling us. Yeah. He's calling us for a purpose. Well, you know, the rest we Val and I got baptised not long after that. We got baptised together. One of the greatest moments of my life. I still want to know thinking about it. Yeah. And what age you were know, you, what age were you, John, when you became a Christian? Singing, you know, when we were going to the water, you could hear, you could hear the singing, I thought, yeah, right, you know. And uh, it was absolutely fabulous. There's one thing Christians love, it's a good baptism. It is, it's really, it was really special, Dan, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the fellowship with uh, all the people I've met from yourself in Forest Hall, Red Row, South Shields, Harton, and, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed the fellowship with everybody. I've spoke several times over White Hills, and I've spoken about Red Row and that, you know, and Walker when it was there, and, and with Paul's End. It's something that uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed. So what age were you when you and Val became Christians? What age? Oh, well, I worked till I was 66. I must have been about 67. I've been, I've been baptised 11, 11, 11 years. No, it's not 11 years. Hey, you must be going on that. Well, I've been baptised nine years. Okay. So I would say two years before that. So it's, we must... We must have been about uh, 77, I think, at the time, when we later got to come to Christian faith. Okay. Relatively late in life compared to most. It is, but is there a, that's what I say to you, Dan, is there a, is there a proper time? I says, Sunday morning, I says, even if I sit in silent, and you look at that table with the bread and the wine, and immediately you think of our Lord Jesus. Carrying that cross and begging it up. You know, when, when, you, when you see where he had to carry the cross as well, because Val and I, we went to Israel. When you see where, where you had to take it to, you know, and you think to yourself, the suffering that he had, it makes you feel, uh, it makes you feel guilty. Thinking of him, what he had to endure. Yeah. Of our sins. And that's, for me, that is. That is my mainstay, the Lord Jesus, what he done for us. So would you have a, a Bible verse which is particularly significant or important to you? The one that really struck me was Acts 16, when we looked at Paul and Silas, when they were locked up. They were locked up and they were in that jail, not knowing what fate they were going to have, was singing, yeah. singing hymns. Top of the voice, and then there was the, the earthquake or the shaking of the stones and everything, and, the, and then all of a sudden that change was loosed off. The jailer coming to him, you just imagine it. You can, you can imagine the jailer. He looks like he's going to get the chop because if these people start walking out, he says, "What can I do to get saved?" Then he got saved immediately. Yeah, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord as your saviour. 
I often read this psalm. I like Psalm 91. You know, you're looking at the Lord for your refuge, you know. Yeah. Like the bird with the feathers. And under, under the feathers you would take refuge, you know. It's, 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 there's so much in the psalms. You can look at your everyday life. About five, been nearly six years now, when Val went into hospital to North Tyneside for an operation and she got a sepsis, you know. She did actually die. She was dead for about a good five minutes or more. Wow, okay. The consultant came to me and he said to me, he says, uh, Mr. Wood, he says, uh, your wife will manage to get her bone again. He says, we don't know if she's going to be brain dead or, or whatever. He says, it's going to take a long time. He says, we're going to take a scan of her brain to see if it's a joke here. Well, and that, he says, uh, she's in the hands of someone else. I says, well, as far as I'm concerned, she's in the hands of God. He says, uh, I'm a Christian as well. Oh, wow. That's good. He was he was a, lo- a lovely man, uh, the, the consultant, you know. He's, a, he's one of the head ones that we probably know. But she was in there for uh, over four months, four and a half months in intensive care. She's one of the first ones at the hospital at Crichton, and the first one from the scanner. It goes on like that. But she used to have a, a diary. That the, the hospital gave you a diary to keep, you know, because she was unconscious. She was in a coma all most of the time. I used to write a Bible verse in every day. And the, the Psalms, I looked, I looked to the hills, where is your, where is your help come from? comes from the Lord God, the creator of heaven, you know. Yeah. When you, when, you, when you read things like that, that really, it really hits you hard. When you're, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about praying, but James, James done a lovely, uh, a lovely thing on uh, Sunday night, when he talked about the power of prayer, but the collective, the collective power of prayer, you know, many people. And I know for a fact that Val, in our hospital, I wasn't only one prayer. Every assembly in this northeast, as far as Berwick and as far as TC, were all praying for her. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, Mr. Uh, Keith Bullock, he had just finished radiotherapy and he was sitting. He, when, I mean, even when Val was in, I had to go to the church. I couldn't sit on my own and, and mope. And I went to the Lord for strength. I met Keith. That was the last time I ever seen him. Yeah. And I talked to him, his face was all burnt and up and he, he said, he stood up and he said a few words in the, in the assembly and his wife Marion, she was asking about Val and it gives us, gave me so much strength and confidence of what, what I've learned from the Bible. I felt I was going to the hospital, but I wasn't sitting there alone. There was hundreds of people behind us all praying for Val and she came out of it. When you go through a trial like that, does it help to strengthen your faith and make oh, those yeah. verses in Psalms feel more real to you? Yes. There's never, there's never ever a time when I ever thought, why me? Why did God do this? Even when I lost power this, this year. Yeah. I never, I never looked to God to say, why did you take Val away? It was because our time was ready the same as for like so you and me. You know, when our time is ready, the Lord, the Lord will take us. But I have the great satisfaction knowing where she is. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the difference. Val, for many years, suffered in terrible pain. She, 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 
in our in our retirement, I only wish things had been different. But it was what it was. It couldn't be changed. Yeah. Maybe that's the way the Lord intended it to be. I don't know. But it didn't stop Val from going to the church and extending a fifth. Never stopped her from doing that. And she used to pray. We used to we pray every night. I, I don't see it now. I've got so much to be thankful for, Dan. Yeah. And you mentioned that you lost Val earlier this year. She was called home. But that must be so... There must be so much comfort in knowing that she's saved, she's in heaven, and that one day you're going to be reunited with her. Look at that aspect about being saved and baptised and I go back, switch the cloud back. And I think, was that the reason for us to enter the home? Bearing in mind, my dad, when, when he died, he was asking for a vicar. Was that the time when the Lord was directing us into that home? And I've never turned me back ever since. I'm, uh, I'm a lot stronger now in faith than I was when I first started. When I first started the journey, I didn't know where it was going to go really. But once I was baptised, my faith went from strength to strength. And my whole aspect in life, I mean, I was brought up in the University of Life. Really, I've seen some horrible things in my time. I've been involved in two war zones. I've seen starvation. I've seen bad things being done. It's just that nowadays I can look back on all those things and it doesn't shake me now like it did then. I have the strength to deal with things like that. And even when when Val died, yeah, when we knew she was going to die, uh, we had we had uh, a couple of hours to prepare ourselves. Graham and Sean, Graham's ex-wife, his present wife, and the grandkids, and the consultant and the nurses were all around the bedside. I said a couple of prayers. I said a prayer, but everybody was there. And then when they left, I said what prayer was on. That gave me great strength. Yeah. Had I not been at church, Dad, I don't think I'd be able to do that. Yeah. And even at a funeral. Our Sean has never spoke publicly in his life, but he's, I've been nurturing him into the ways of the Bible. He's one of these lads, he reads, he doesn't have, to, doesn't have TV, he just reads and reads. He's been, he had been reading about uh, Egypt, he's into Egyptology and all that. And he came to me and he started asking me about Genesis and that, and I said, here, there's a Bible, son. Read that instead of reading the other stuff. Read that. And he's been reading the Bible. He stood up there, he spoke for his mum. And I, I, I spoke for Val as well. And what Graham said, he said, I couldn't have done that, Dad. I may have not shown any emotion. I felt it inner strength. That I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. And uh, as I say, Dan, I could never have done that under any other circumstances. It's one of those things. I mean, I couldn't even do that in my mother's funeral or my dad's. It, it goes to show that the Lord is working with you all the time, even as we are speaking now together, enjoying this time together. Uh, and the Lord is with us. Yeah. I think as well, just to close, as Christians, 
we have a hope that the world doesn't have because we've got the assurance that one day the Lord Jesus will come back for us or if we die we're going to be with him in heaven and that hope it's not a kind of wish wishful hope is it it's that steadfast assurance like an anchor to the soul that one day we're going to be together in heaven and that's they can't put a price on that for me Don that's cast in stone that it doesn't even uh, I don't even question that when you read the Bible it's, it's a history book the Bible is a history book whichever way you look at it if I had said here yeah, kids there's, there's a great history book there for you they would have probably read that and because it's religion to go with that let's just push it to one side You've seen that yourself, Dan, as well. I'm busy reading Pilgrim's Progress as well. John Bunyan. A great book. People used to stop when she was, uh, uh, she was a, a retired head, headmistress. Her husband, who sadly died uh, 18 months ago, he was uh, a drunkard. He was the executive chef on the QE2. Right. And I think that probably led to his drinking habits, you know, tasting, tasting the wine, tasting the brandy and see how much he's putting in the soup and all that. But she was a devout Christian. And out of the blue, out of the blue, if there are a few months, two or three months ago, I stayed with her for five years, her and her husband. I hollered away to have to move on Ireland and all over. But, and she says, John, have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? I says, no, I says, I haven't. I says, I intend to do that one day. Because uh, our gospel hall, they get their uniforms and that, and they go around the schools and they, and they act out Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, she says, that's lovely. She says, well, there's, there's, a, there's a parcel coming up for you. And sure enough, a few days later, John Bunyan arrives at their front door. Ah, oh, nice. Not in person, I hope. So I've, uh, I've, up to, I've just finished uh, stage four. Very good. You know, when I first started, the first couple of pages, I thought, this is weird, this. And then you can see yourself. Yeah. You can see yourself in every page after that. Yeah. Your trials, what you're carrying on your shoulders, you can see it a lot. There's a lot to be said for it. Yeah. Because I was shown, he's, he's, he's given me a book about the, about the pyramids, and he's wanted me to start reading that. I said, I'll read that when I finished reading John Bunyan. <laughs> Get your priorities sorted out. Huh? Get your priorities sorted out. Oh, yes. Well, John, thanks. Sorry. That's my journey anyway, Dan. It's been a joy and it's been a wonderful pleasure. And I profess that to any but all my neighbours that all, all know, because if I see them, I'll ask them, I'll say, you're not thinking about going to church. I try to get them down there for a Christmas even. Yeah. Two or three of them turned up like, and went, come down. Great. But for the majority of them, well, I haven't got time, I've got my dogs to walk and I've got this to do. Nice to make those excuses as well at one time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know if that's any help to you. Uh, John, that's, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing your testimony. Yeah, you're welcome. I just thought it'd be nice to hear a different, a different viewpoint. No, it's, it's been it's been a wonderful journey, Dan. I've, I don't know where, I don't know where I've been without it. To be quite honestly, even now being on my own, because I still do all the things. I mean, for years before I uh, got called home, 
I've done all the housework because she couldn't do it. And I still do exactly the same. In fact, yeah, I think I was caught the stairs. We've got the wood, wood banisters, you know, and, and all the things that's on them. And uh, I was standing at the top of the stairs and put a ring on that. I just had to get my eyes down on this ledge. <laughs> What's that dust? I think that. Oh, dear me, I said, I haven't dusted them. <laughs> no, I haven't dusted them for, <laughs> for wood. <laughs> I think they dust that out. But that's that's the way life goes. Yeah. Uh, Thing is, you don't uh, remember that you don't remember the times you dusted the house, John. You remember the better things. Oh, I remember. I remember what I do. Uh, I've got to write everything down in a diary. No mind done. Yeah. My mind now is is hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I still know my way around the guitar, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, John, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for doing yes, that. It's been a pleasure speaking. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Thank you.